19th century Russian author Leo Tolstoy once said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. The truth is, change is one of those things most of us tend to resist in our lives because change makes us uncomfortable. and We don't like being uncomfortable. Change typically involves uh, some measure of risk, uh, some, some amount of unknown. Uh, to change is to learn, to grow, to start again, in many ways to embrace something new. And all of that makes us vulnerable, which nobody likes. And so because of the discomfort of being vulnerable that inevitably comes with change, we tend to avoid change as much as possible. It's our human nature. And yet the Christian faith, the act of following Jesus Christ, is by its very nature the most radical change that could ever occur in a human being's life. And so in the Gospels, you have Jesus walking around telling people who have devoted their entire lives to certain religious behaviors in order to try and get to God, that if they want to actually get to God, then they're going to have to change everything. They're going to have to embrace the most radically counterintuitive changes they could ever imagine. And for those who would make that choice to follow him, it was a whole new normal because their lives would never be the same again. And so you can understand how that was a shock to many people and quite difficult for most of them to accept because they'd been doing life, especially their religious life, the same way for generations. And yet here's Jesus telling them that everything has to change, and we don't like change. And so after three years of preaching that message faithfully, Jesus is crucified and resurrected, which validated everything he'd been saying about himself and the gospel. And as a result, for the first time since arriving on the scene, his disciples were finally fully bought in. They were ready to actually live that radically different life, that new normal that Jesus modeled for them. There was only one problem. They couldn't do it. They were utterly incapable on their own. No matter how much they believed, no matter how much they'd seen or experienced, no matter how sincere or heartfelt or how strong their convictions were, even seeing Jesus risen from the grave in person, none of that would be enough for them to actually live the way Jesus did. Impossible. They couldn't do it. Of course, Jesus knew that, which is why he said to them, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John 16, 7. You see, it was better to have Jesus in them than to have Jesus next to them. Which meant he had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come to live inside of them. Which was the only way they could actually live like Jesus lived. And yet that also meant a whole new normal for those disciples, even after believing and following him in person, even after watching Jesus perform miracle after miracle, even after seeing him rise from the dead, still it wouldn't be enough for them to do what Jesus called them to do without the power of the Holy Spirit surging through them. 
And yet once they embraced the work of the Spirit in their lives to the point uh, to the point they relied on it, oftentimes just to be able to get from one day to the next, that's when they began to change the world because they realized not only what they could not accomplish without Him, more importantly, they realized what they could accomplish with Him. And do you realize, do you understand nothing has changed in that regard? There isn't one single verse in all of biblical scripture that says we won't need the Holy Spirit quite as much today as they did then. Not one. And yet we live as if we don't need him as much today as they did then. Why? Because we absolutely cannot live like Jesus lived without submitting our lives to the leading and power of the Holy Spirit today any more than they could then. So why don't we? Right? What, what's different today than it was then? Well, it isn't the Holy Spirit who's changed. In fact, there isn't a single verse in the Bible that says the Holy Spirit will change or become less powerful or operate differently in the lives today, uh, in our lives today, than He did in their lives then. Quite the opposite, in fact. So you understand, we need the power and leading of the Holy Spirit surging through us today in order to live like Jesus lived just as much as his disciples did then. So why don't we rely on him like they did then? Well, it's because allowing yourself to live a spirit-led, spirit-empowered life like they did means allowing everything in your life to change as the Holy Spirit leads you and empowers you, which is not only an ongoing process of continual change, it never ends, this side of heaven, but it also means being continually vulnerable to Him. And we don't like being vulnerable, so we naturally resist that change in our lives. And the result is, listen, if we're not careful, we will waste opportunities that He set before us to be a part of the extraordinary, supernatural work of the kingdom of God on earth, all because it doesn't look like what we've been doing. Because it's different. And it requires a leading and a power we're not used to relying on. And in the process of doing things our own way, we can completely miss the plan. We can be out of sync with what God is trying to accomplish in our lives and in this world and how he plans on doing that through us because it doesn't always look like what we've been doing. It's different. And it requires a leading and a power that we're not used to. And I'm just telling you, if you underestimate the leading and power of the Holy Spirit in your own life long enough, which I think is all too common in the lives of believers today, then you will never attempt to accomplish anything for the sake of Christ that requires anything more than the leading and power you're able to produce on your own. Of course, the problem with that is, you cannot live the life Jesus created and called you to live without an absolute reliance on the leading and power of the Holy Spirit. It is not going to happen. And the reason we're talking about this today, by the way, is because we, the church, are transitioning into a new normal, uh, which has nothing to do with wearing masks and washing hands, by the way. You understand, I'm, I'm for all of that, but... That's not the new normal we're talking about today. No, what we're talking about today is the fact that under the sovereign hand of God, the church has been sheltered in place for an extended period of time now for a very specific reason. 
And yet if we're not careful, we'll look at everything that's been happening as nothing more than some kind of attack of the enemy that we were able to hold our collective breath and hunker down for long enough. And now that the pressure is easing up, we can get back to business as usual. That would be a grave mistake. Because I believe God is calling His church to a new normal. To living our lives so radically dependent upon the leading and power of the Holy Spirit that it profoundly changes us from the inside out. By the way, uh, there's been a lot of talk among the churches about revival coming to the church out of this. And I'm all for it as long as we understand that revival is not about supercharged church services. No, it's about radically changed lives. The kind of radical change that we see in those early disciples on the day of Pentecost. And guess what? Today is not only our first day gathering back together again. It also happens to be Pentecost Sunday, as you saw in the video, which I can't help but believe is God's perfect timing for us to gather again as we focus on the radical changes that he was making in the lives of his followers then. Listen, the same changes he wants to make in the lives of his followers today. And so for that reason, we're going to pause our sermon series this morning in 1 Samuel and spend our time in Acts 1 and 2, where we find Jesus just before he ascends to heaven, telling his disciples to shelter in place, to self-quarantine in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit arrives. But why? So they could go right back to business as usual once the shelter in place ended? No. No, in fact, after their period of quarantine, they would never be the same again because they were seeking God for an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And the result was a whole new normal for the people of God as they went out and did what they would have otherwise never been able to do. They literally changed the world for Christ through the leading and power of the Holy Spirit working in them. So, so let's jump into this Pentecost story and see what life looks like for the follower of Christ who learns to truly rely on the leading and power of the Spirit in their daily life. We'll pick up the story at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. This is after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ at the end of the 40-day period, immediately following His resurrection, where Jesus continued to teach and prepare His followers for His imminent departure. Acts 1, 1 through 9. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The author of the book of Acts is Luke, who, of course, also authored the gospel according to Luke. And in fact, together, 
The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were originally two volumes of the same work, mainly because uh, ancient books were written on papyrus scrolls, which became very difficult to carry around once they exceeded a length of about uh, 35 feet. They were just too bulky when they were rolled up if the writing exceeded that 35-foot length, which, by the way, interestingly, is what determined the length of many of the books of the Bible. And again, it's why Luke used two different scrolls to tell the story of Jesus and what we now separate is two different stories. But listen, in the early church, these two books or two scrolls traveled together and were read and taught together in the local churches as one continuous story, which constitutes roughly a quarter of the entire New Testament. And the reason that's so important to understand is because Luke did not regard book one or volume one, the Gospel of Luke, as the story of the work of Jesus in volume two, the book of Acts is the story of the work of the church. But that's how we tend to look at it today, but not for Luke. No, for Luke, both volumes were about the work of Jesus in two distinct phases. The first by Jesus in the flesh, and the second by Jesus in the spirit. In fact, uh, Pastor Chris and I were just talking about this recently. The fact that there are many scholars who believe the second volume, instead of being titled the Acts of the Apostles, or the book of Acts, should have really been titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because both volumes are simply one story of the two phases of the work of Christ on this earth. And in both phases, his human followers were invited in, of course, to be a part of his work, which is exciting and compelling for us. But just to be clear, the focus on all of Luke's writing is Jesus Christ and what he was doing in and through his people, which again, just highlights the necessity of our complete reliance on the leading and power of the Spirit of Christ in our lives because he's trying to accomplish his work in and through us, right? Not our work. We cannot do his work without his leading or his power. And so in verses one and two, when Luke says in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And he goes on, that first book that Luke is referring to is the gospel of Luke or volume one of this ongoing story. And so where the gospel of Luke ends with the ascension of Jesus in Luke 24, 51, Acts picks the story right back up at the same point and simply continues that same narrative. And again, if the book of Acts, which spans about 30 years, uh, if it was intended to primarily be a chronology of the work of the church, which is what most people treat it as today, then why isn't the the tremendously strong church that was established in Egypt during this same time period, not even mentioned in the book of Acts, right? Or, or even the churches in Galilee and Samaria, which are barely mentioned in Acts 9.31, right? It's because this book isn't primarily about the work of the church. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit through the church, which means our focus as we read this book of Acts should always be fixed on what the Holy Spirit is up to, right? Because you understand, we're living today in the continuation of this same story, right? The, the world is just as broken in the 21st century as it was in the first century, which means we need the leading and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today the very same way they needed it then because we're living in the same story. It's just the next chapter. And I find it very compelling to say the least that on this Pentecost Sunday, 
We're coming out of a period of sheltering in place just as they were then into a whole new normal where the people of God began to operate in a leading in power they never had before and they had to. They had to because Jesus knew they'd never be able to do what he was calling them to do without the leading and power of his spirit. In fact, do you know that uh, Luke tells us in Luke 4.1 that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and in Luke 4.14 that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you tell me if the son of the living God needed the leading and power of the Holy Spirit to do what he'd come to the earth to do then don't you think we are going to need the same thing? And so he commanded them to shelter in place until the leading and power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. And that's what they did. And their lives were never the same again. From that day of Pentecost on, it was a new normal for the church. And listen, I'm not not arguing that the enemy is not working against the church in this world. Of course he is. That's what he's here to do. But if you see all of this, everything that's happening in our world today as nothing more, just that and nothing more, an attack of the enemy, then you're making a big mistake because the Holy Spirit isn't unengaged and he's not clueless. He isn't waiting to see what's going to happen next. No, he's waiting for you and I to take this unprecedented opportunity in the modern age of the church to embrace a new normal where we learn to rely on the leading and power of the Holy Spirit like never before. You understand what's happening in our world today? This is a God-given opportunity. Don't waste it. Because look, We'll never see any meaningful, eternal results from our labor if the Holy Spirit isn't leading and empowering us. We won't, because that means we're operating under our own steam, under our own wisdom and our own power, which whether you realize it or not, is a colossal waste of time and effort. Okay, Without the Holy Spirit leading and empowering us, we might as well pack up and go home. Okay, humanly speaking, listen, in the very beginning, that first iteration of the church in the first century, it had nothing going for it. It had no money, no material resources, no proven leaders, no technological tools for advancing the gospel, while at the very same time, it faced enormous obstacles. It was utterly new. It was teaching truths and concepts that were literally incredible, not credible to a lost world and as a result it was subjected to the most intense hatred and horrific persecutions in the history of the church and yet when you read the new testament and the history of the early church since the effect that church had on this world without all of the leaders and money and resources and technology that we have at our disposal today the effect that early church had on the towns and cities and entire cultures around it was nothing short of amazing. It was astoundingly transformative. Why? It's because of the Holy Spirit. The leading and empowering of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Because the fact is, there is nothing else to attribute the success of the early church to. They didn't have what we have today. And apparently, they didn't need it. And of course, it's not wrong. 
Uh, it's not wrong or bad or even undesirable for the church to have at its disposable strong leaders and plentiful resources and amazing technology. Those things can all be wonderful tools used quite effectively in our service to Christ as long as we don't replace the leading and power of the Holy Spirit with all those other things, which I'm afraid is exactly what the American church has been doing for a long time now. We've become so comfortable and so confident in our own leading and in our own power to harness the benefits of strong leadership and plentiful resources and cutting-edge technology that we've forgotten how utterly useless all of our effort is without the Holy Spirit at the helm. And so here, here we stand. Gathering together after God once again hit a giant reset button by having his church shelter in place. And I'm simply saying, let's not waste it. Instead of seeking a return to normal, let's seek a new normal as together we pursue the leading and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives like never before. And again, it's, it's not about hyped up church services. It's about men and women allowing the Holy Spirit to actually lead us and empower us every day of our lives in order to do what would otherwise be impossible under our own steam. To actually live like Jesus created and called us to live, which means dying, first of all, to yourself, living a selfless life of devotion where you utterly spend yourself in service to God and to his word and to his people and to his mission to this world, which is never going to happen under your own steam. I mean, we've already proven that, haven't we? Just answer this one question to yourself honestly. If I woke up tomorrow and I was no longer a Christian. How different would my life look tomorrow than it does today? Right? Aside from attending a church, would the people who know you, the people you work with, go to school with, your, your neighbors and friends and family, would it be glaringly obvious that something drastic, something profound had changed in your life overnight? Or would your life basically look the same tomorrow as it does today? Just go through your routine in your mind. What would be drastically different? What would change about where you would go? Who, who you would see, how you would talk, what you would say, how you would spend your money and your time and your resources, or, or would it all basically look the same? Because listen, if the honest answer is, you know, my life probably wouldn't look all that different tomorrow as a non-Christian than it does today as a Christian, then you're decidedly not relying on the leading and power of the Holy Spirit to live the life He's called you to live. Because the life truly lived under the leading and power of the Holy Spirit is not possible any other way. You cannot do it under your own steam. And everyone around you will notice that. So then why don't more Christians live in utter reliance to the leading and power of the Holy Spirit in their everyday lives? Well, it's because for most of us, that would require extraordinary changes in our lives. We don't like change. So we stick to what we can accomplish on our own instead of embracing a new normal and living in utter dependence upon Him. Pastor and author A.W. Tozer once wrote, God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. 
What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. Let's skip over now to Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, and read the first 16 verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Again, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Pentecost, also known as the day of first fruits in Numbers 28-26, or the Feast of Weeks in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, was the second of the annual harvest festivals. And because it occurred 50 days after Passover, it was the most highly attended of all the great feasts because it was at the time of year when traveling conditions were at their best. And so this particular festival, hosted by far uh, not only the largest, but also the most a cosmopolitan or diverse crowd of them all. And there in the upper room, as the disciples sheltered in place, seeking God, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the word tongues, glossa, in the ancient Greek can also be translated as languages, which it certainly has the sense of that here in this verse, as the work of the Holy Spirit in that upper room begins to spill out into the streets and the massive crowds of people from many different language groups each hear the disciples declaring the mighty works of God in his own native language. And so this was, this was intended to be a sign to unbelievers, right? But they weren't quite getting it. So Peter stands up under the leading and power of the Holy Spirit and preaches the word of God to the crowd, a powerful demonstration of why preaching and teaching the word of God is so important, which we'll see the results of in a moment. And we're going to talk more about, by the way, exactly what the Holy Spirit was doing here. But, but uh, first we need to recognize that this seemingly out of the blue totally crazy, doesn't make sense to the majority of the people there event, was actually part of God's plan all along. Peter says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people aren't drunk like you think they are. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In other words, everything you're seeing and hearing here today 
was all planned by God before the foundations of the earth, and it was prophesied by Joel over 500 years before today. You understand, God intended for this to happen from the beginning, not just at some point in history, but at this very moment in history, and not just for the church then, but for the church today, because he knew that there would be no other way for us to carry out his will without the leading and power of the Spirit today any more than they could then. And the Holy Spirit hasn't changed, which means he's just as in control of what happens with his church now as he was back then, which also means the shelter in place, the upheaval it has caused, the timing of the regathering of the church. You understand, none of that is the enemy's plan unfolding before us. No. Are you kidding me? The devil's not in control. God is in control. This isn't the enemy's plan. This is God's plan. Don't miss it. Don't get so caught up in what this world is doing that you miss what God is doing. Okay, look at I don't agree with everything the government does. I don't believe everything the media says. I don't accept everything I read on social media, and I don't buy into every single thing the experts say. And yet, as frustrating as all of that can be, I'm not going to allow any of it to keep me from recognizing the leading and power of the Holy Spirit in, at work in the midst of the very worst of it. Why? Because the government isn't in control. The media isn't in control and people and their endless opinions are not in control and the experts are not in control. So why would I waste my time focusing on those who have no more control over this situation or its outcomes than my dog does when I have unfettered access to the leading and power of the one who has all of the control and all of the answers and all of the outcomes, right? Determined already and established since before the foundations of the earth. There's no government, no virus, no quarantine, no political power or plan of the enemy that can wrestle one ounce of sovereignty away from God. So why do we fret over things like sheltering in place? Do you think the church is that fragile? Jesus said that he would build his church and not even the gates of hell would prevail against it. If the gates of hell can't prevail against the church, I'm pretty certain the government order won't prevail against the church. And listen, I may dislike it as much as anyone, but I'm not going to allow what this world is doing to take my focus off of what God is doing. Because at the end of the day, it's all a part of his plan. Of course, we may not like his plan all the time or how it unfolds in this world or in our own lives because at times his plan forces us to either change the way we're doing things or, or we, then we have to abandon his leading and power in our lives altogether if we refuse. And we don't like change, which is why we struggle so much when he allows these circumstances in our lives that challenge our status quo. But listen, if you believe he is in control, then you have to trust his plan, even if that means making some major changes to your plan. Okay, because your plan for your life ain't never going to compare to God's plan for your life. 
your plan for your life will never compare to God's plan for your life. And yet sometimes that means being willing to embrace a whole new normal. Let's finish the story for today. Verses 17 through 21, which is the 500-year-old prophecy from Joel that Peter is referring to in his sermon. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter says, you want to know what's happening here? I'll tell you. And by the way, don't take my word for it. Let's look at what the scriptures say. And then he quotes this prophecy from Joel, right? Now keep in mind, everything he said was going to happen that he just described. Then after preaching, he continues on preaching about who Jesus is and what he'd done for them and the fact that they were culpable, responsible for what happened to Jesus, their desperate need now for a Savior. And then verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then what happens next? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's you and me. Everything he just read about is for you and for me, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Boy, that sounds familiar. So those who receive his word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. Clearly, this was God's plan unfolding in the lives of his people as prophesied from long ago. And not only a plan for his people then, but it is a plan for us, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And of course, it's a description of the Holy Spirit being poured out into the lives of his people, both then and now. And if you want an example of what that's supposed to look like in our lives today, just look at what it looked like in their lives then in Acts 2, because the Holy Spirit doesn't change. Right? With the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in his people. When all of this happened, what was the result? It wasn't some kind of hyped up church service. No, it just happened to be... <laughs> 3,000 people, 3,000 human souls who were utterly lost without Christ coming to salvation in Christ in one single day. This is God's power. Don't underestimate it. Don't think this is something that could only happen then because it can still happen today and it can happen through you. 
Because the same Holy Spirit that was inside of those disciples in Acts 2 is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you now. If you've truly been born again, Peter was crystal clear. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Have you done that? Because if you have, then you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been born again, then that same Holy Spirit that transformed 3,000 souls that day on Pentecost lives inside of you today on Pentecost Sunday. All right, there's no regeneration without the Holy Spirit. So if you're a child of God, He's living inside of you now. Well then, why doesn't He seem to work through us today like He did through them then? Well, it's not because He's changed. It's because we are not willing to change. We're not willing to completely rely on the leading and power of the Holy Spirit because of the drastic changes that will require for us. And so we resist His leading and power in our lives. And then we wonder why we don't see Him moving in our lives today like He did in their lives in the Bible. You understand, you can absolutely be filled with the Holy Spirit and still resist His leading and power in your life. Do you know that? In fact, the great Apostle Paul knew, all that, knew that all too well in his own life. We won't take the time to read it now, but he made it very clear in Romans 7, 15 through 24. Paul struggled because he resisted the Holy Spirit's leading and power at times in his life. And yet, despite all of our resistance... The leading and power of the Holy Spirit is as real and available to us today as it ever has been for anyone. But I'm telling you, if you don't seek it in your own life to the point that you utterly rely on Him from one day to the next, if you're not willing to embrace a new normal for yourself, then you will never live up to the potential that you were created and called to live. The great British scholar John Stott once said, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver. No understanding without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of the spirit. No Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit. And no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse. So the church without the spirit is dead. Okay? If Jesus had to rely on the leading and power of the Holy Spirit to do what he'd been sent to this earth to do, and if those early disciples had to rely on the leading and power of the Holy Spirit to do what they'd been created and called to do, why would we ever think we're any different? Is it because of the history behind us, the, uh, the leaders among us, the resources available to us, the, the technology that allows us to reach others in ways we never could before? I don't, I don't know. Is that, is that why we live like we don't need Him as much now as they did then? Because listen, there isn't one single verse in all of the Bible that says we don't need the Holy Spirit as much today as they did then. Yet we've become comfortable with what we're able to accomplish on our own, by our own leading and our own power to the point that we resist His leading and His power because that would require us to change. 
We don't like change. Now, is it really all that much of a surprise that he would allow something so completely beyond our control and all of the fear associated with it to force us to have to confront the reality that apart from the Holy Spirit, all of our great leading and all of our great power and all of our great resources and all of our great technology amounts to exactly nothing without him. You see, I, I, don't, I don't think the church sheltering in place was the enemy's triumph over God's people for one second. Quite the opposite. It was God showing us that apart from his leading and apart from his power, we can do nothing. And now that this season is ending, well, we'd better do something. And listen, he's given us the power to do what needs to be done, to start making some changes, and it's time. I'm telling you, it's time to look at our lives and start asking some hard questions. Am I truly relying on the leading and power of the Holy Spirit in my daily life? What am I going to do today that I cannot accomplish without His leading or His power? Or can I handle everything in front of me today by my own steam? Is my life utterly dependent upon the leading and the power of the Spirit of God? And if not, what needs to change for that to happen? And whatever it is, am I willing to embrace those changes in my life? Otherwise, how can I possibly ever make a real difference in this broken world or expect to see him move powerfully and supernaturally in my own life if I don't embrace his leading and power in my own life first? I know. I know. These are hard questions. But I'm telling you, they need to be asked if we're not going to waste this opportunity that he's given us. An opportunity to recognize and respond to our desperate need for a total reliance on the leading and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which I believe was his plan all along for his people. Not business as usual. A whole new normal. Let's pray.